Welcome to the Internet Advisor Podcast. I'm your host and producer, Foster Brown. Along with my co-host, Gary Baker, and our team of experts, we've been helping people like you since 1998 with your computer problems, introducing you to valuable resources, and promoting tech enterprise throughout Michigan. The Internet Advisor is a two-hour podcast recorded every week at the studios of historic WJR Radio in Detroit. Only the second hour of our show, which features listeners' questions, is heard live from 5 to 6 p.m. every Saturday on WJR. However, both hours of the show are available each week on this podcast and are streamed to our affiliates across the state of Michigan. We're also proud to be part of Detroit's newest and fastest-growing podcast network, PodcastDetroit.com. And now, here are your hosts with this week's Internet Advisor... Welcome to the Internet Advisor, your place for answers to your computer questions since 1998, with your co-hosts Gary Baker and Foster Brown and their team of tech experts. The door is always open at internetadvisor.net, on Facebook and through Twitter. But right now it's time to get you in touch with your helpful hosts on this week's edition of Internet Advisor. Welcome aboard the Internet Advisor. Hi, I'm Foster Brown. I co-host and producer of this show, and we've got a doubleheader for you today. We're going to be talking about two really big shows, CES, the Consumer Electronic Show, out in Las Vegas, and Rick Broyd is going to be in to talk about his experience there, and we're also going to talk about the North American International Auto Show and an app that they've got that will help us get around that enormous floor. All that coming up in this week's Internet Advisor. Welcome to the Internet Advisor, as we are now full steam ahead into the year 2016. My name is Foster Brown. I am the co-host and producer of the program, along with my colleague, Mr. Gary Baker here. Hi, doing, Gary? It's great to be here, as always. Charging into 2016, <laughs> Ed Rudell's here. Oh, I'm sorry. I was looking at my Twitter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All 140 characters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We'll get to that in just a second. And uh, Kel Carson, good to have you in studio, uh, too. I try never to Twitter my life away. Uh, <laughs> we have another generation of family here as well. Talon is in here. That's uh, Ed's son. And my grandson, Tony, is here. Tony Stack. And we're going to be talking with uh, Tony a little bit about um, trying to get into, break into help desks. No, and, uh, you guys have been working that for so many years. I thought it might be kind of fun to have him. You know, you guys share your experiences with him about uh, working on a help desk, and then I have some quizzes for you. <laughs> Ooh! <laughs> Before we get there, though, yeah, you brought up a subject of Twitter. Yep. What do you think about this? You think it's a good idea to change Twitter from 140 characters and expand it to, let's say, 2,000 characters, or? Beyond. Well, how are they going to do that? I mean, isn't Twitter ba still based on, uh, um, well, I don't know. See, what, Twitter originally started with the 140-character limit because that's, isn't that what the MMS was originally? I think it was just contrived. You by think it was time, really? Well, I, originally it might have been, but by the time they started Twitter, I think it was just contrived. It was say, all right, let's see how creative you can be yeah. in 140 characters. Oh, okay. And it's very quick, and it's very easy, and people can go through them very quickly, and, you know, it's about the... Uh, 
attention span that the kids are growing up with today. And so, you know, it seemed to work. That's true. You, you know, and you but, can get a tremendous amount of uh, communication done, a lot that, of back and forth. And that was the idea was be real creative, see how creative you can be and still communicate your message in 140 characters. So, you know, Cal, what do, you, what do you think? Do we gain something by expanding it out to, let's say, 2,000 characters and beyond or... Do we lose something in that process? Uh, we gain. I can understand it. I, I probably. Can, yeah. oh, well, that's the whole point. That's 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 where you lose because you're not supposed to understand it. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, good point. I I think keeping it short is probably more efficient. And if you need to make it longer than that, you need to use, uh, unfortunately, Facebook, or you need to use email, or you need to use some other medium. I think they should always have a light nimble sort of communication method out there, do it, be gone, and call it a day. It's kind of like having CB radio. Yeah, right. No, that's true. Because, you know, a lot of people can subscribe or or choose not to subscribe to your particular hashtag, basically. You've got tons of different choices of what you can do to communicate with people. You know, why why should we have to change something just for that particular case? Because you want to say more. If you got more to say, use a, a different medium. Well, they're up against Facebook in terms of users. I think is that Facebook has like a right. was it a half a billion people on a regular basis are using it, and they have like two hundred and thirty million, I think, in terms of Twitter's uh, hmm. daily uses. I'm not sure. Okay, I don't know either. But you know, it is a different style of communication, and I think that's it. Is not only the input, but it, you know, but it's the consumption as well. Yeah, and I see. I think um, that there's something lost. If they move it, if they expand it, yes, you'll be able to get more information in, a, in any given kind of communique, but it's forced a level of creativity, I think, like with the hashtags yep. and a lot of the other things that have made it, um, I think, a far more interesting kind of... Uh, it's certainly a, a culture unto itself, right? Oh, man. People that really get into it, really get into it. But- and it seems to be overseas as well. Am I wrong on this? That overseas with limited bandwidth that Twitter actually is a more effective or efficient way of communicating? Wow, we're really stretching to come up with a reason to do that. That's well, right. Rationalization thinking, that it's uh at its No, I'm best, thinking of I like the, the you know the Arab Spring with some that was where like, you saw Twitter begin, I think, to make you know kind of an impact in terms of the politics of what was going on. Well, but because of the medium, because of the style, you could subscribe to a hashtag and everybody could get it and it was short and, and cryptic, right? Yeah, but so I wondered... I think, you, could, you know, so what's the difference between 140 characters and 200 characters, mm, right? Exactly. From an efficiency standpoint, you know, it's minuscule. Right? No, at that le- but I'm thinking in terms of like 2,000 characters versus 140. Well, let's just take it one other way. Do you use Twitter yourself? On a regular basis. I do, yes. But with the show, I do. Okay. So do you really feel a need for more characters? No, no, no. Matter of fact, I enjoy the the brevity of it. And uh, because... Now, what you can do is you can include, uh, for instance, links in it. You can put a link in that will tie you to an article. Or now you can put images. You can attach an image to it as well. And the good thing is, because you can't go over 140 characters, it makes it quick and easy and nobody expects you to go over that because you can't. So they expect short uh, communication. And, and what are, what are some of the prompts that you get if you go over something like you got to be more creative? And I think and I've seen that if you go over the 140, it says, "Hang on, you got to be more creative. Try to reduce something." <laughs> I went over 140 once, and some guy knocked on my door and said I had to stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> the Twitter police <laughs> landed on that. Do you use Twitter, Ed? No, I rarely do. Nope. No, if I do, it's web-based. I'm not going to use it on my on my smart device. 
So I got a Twitter account and I've never used it. No, that's interesting. Uh, I, I signed up. Oh yeah, I guess I got to be on Twitter like everyone I'm gonna else. I'm going to ask the two guys here. And it the, was the, like the, I had no need for it. The two millennials who work here, Talon. Let's ask you first. Do you use Twitter? Hang, hang on, let's push the button. There we go. Yeah, I've used it once and never use it again. Why? I see no. I heard. I I have a Facebook and I never use it. Yeah, all right, Tony. How about you, Tony Stack? My grandson. I I actually do have a Twitter account, but I've only used it maybe I don't three times my whole life right now. Oh, that's so, interesting. You kind of wonder who uses it then, because <laughs> it's well used around the world. But in, in terms of the younger generation here, not so much. Well, we're going to talk about Help Desk, and we're going to put our Help Desk experts to work in just a moment. Welcome back. It's the Internet Advisor. Well, who of us haven't at one time or another used a Help Desk? I think, uh, has anybody here not used a help desk? So I recall that our relationship started on a help desk. That's right. Exactly. That's how the Internet Advisor began. I had some problems with my link to the Internet back in 1998 when I was doing the weekend show. Here and, it, and it was not your ISP, but we helped you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so I called in and had, I was having a terrible time, I think, connecting to the Internet or right. staying connected staying or whatever connected. it was. Staying connected. In any case, we found I was a squirrel <laughs> that had chewed off the lining on the uh, on the cable bond. Coming from the pole to the house. <laughs> and But in any case, so our relationship, Gary, yours and mine, began with a help yep. desk. Have you guys, now you are essentially Cal and Ed, you are the help desk, right? Well, you could consider us like second or third level help desk because we're very specialized in what That's we right. do. That's right. You, and you, tell, you help the executives at GM right. in your position. But, it, but you are essentially troubleshooting for them, right, Cal? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're like, normally you would call into a help desk and someone would answer the phone. They would gather your uh, request or would, 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 whatever problem you had going on. And then they try and resolve it. If they couldn't resolve it, they move it up to the second level people. And if that people can't oh, do it to the gotcha. third level, me and Ed hang out somewhere up in three. <laughs> you're, you're in the upper atmospheres there. When nobody else can solve it, they call in yeah, the experts. That. And we're the feet on the ground, basically. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Because there's only so much you could do at the help desk. You're going to have to dispatch that ticket. Sometimes two people on the ground. And, Literally walking and, and in. And we are the people that are on the ground that tailor specifically just for the uh, executives. Because, right. you know, right. we can walk the walk and talk the talk. Yep. And, and that's plus, how Ed Knife uh, met was because of that relationship. So. No, that's right. That's right. That's exactly right. how you met. Exactly. Well, my grandson, Tony Stack, is in here. Tony, move up to that microphone there just to say hello. Uh, Tony, tell people a little bit about your background and what you hope to get involved in. Well, for me personally, um, I went to Oakland Community College and I uh, just graduated over last summer uh, with an associates in computer supports. Mm-hmm. Um, I also uh, have just been trying at this point to get my foot in the door um, and just trying to do as many interviews as possible, um, trying a little bit on my own time to do some research and such, and mm-hmm. just uh, and just gather as much information as possible so that um, I'm prepared when the opportunity comes for me. And you work as a family help desk person, don't Pretty you? Pretty much, <laughs> yep. I help, help anybody out in the family or anybody that comes to me that needs help. I, I'm happy to help and just... It's experience of what I need. So, as a matter of fact, Cal, over the Christmas break, he was helping his one sister, one of his twin sisters, uh, to get her new iPad. Uh, hooked up. I mean, she had an iPad four that she was getting. Just amazing, you know. And and, and it's just a, it's just part of 
the nature of our world nowadays, you know, all of our technology, I mean, not just computers and, and iPads, stuff like that. Even I called a help desk for my refrigerator last week over, you know, during yep. the holiday break because I was trying to do an adjustment on the freezer and I wasn't quite clear about what was going on after I, even after I read over the instructions and called them up and they took me through it. It was really cool. Have you, go ahead. I was going to ask you if you've called help desks other than maybe computer help desks. No, I avoid them like the plague. I really do. Unless I really have to, like if I have to call Dell or HP because of a broken LCD, um, you know, or, you know, you have to, who had, who hasn't called their cellular provider help desk when you mm-hmm. want to, you're having difficulties. But most people that actually, like your uh, grandson, um, we thrive on, on trying to solve problems. Mm-hmm. As Tony does, and and you learn so much by every time you interact with a family member or a family member friend, because you get their perspective and 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 you learn their vocabulary and how they're describing things, mm. and you have to translate that in your own mind to what you've learned and what you know the real, you know what's really happening inside of a computer or what's really happening with the software or the hardware. You have to translate that because they use such vague terms like thingama, thingamajig and what you call yeah, it, yeah, that sort of thing, yeah. <laughs> No, yeah. when they say power off, they may need, may not even realize they're not even powering off that computer. So you have to you have to understand that when they say something, it could have five or six different meanings. And so sometimes you have to break that down. So you spend a fair amount of time then when you're on a help desk call trying to understand what the question is. And any of you, by the way, who, who listen to our program on a regular basis, really know that our second hour normally is our help desk. That's when, <clears throat> pardon me, since Gary and I developed the program initially on the basis of a help desk, mm-hmm. um, we try to make that second hour the one where people can call in with their questions. Right. And half the success of a help desk is based upon your ability to garner the information from the person on the other end to be able to solve the problem. And a lot of times uh, you'll find that you have to uh, separate the madness from the problem. You know, they may be all wound up about something because oh, I see. Yeah. during the time that they call you, they never call you when it's like a nice casual time to having a cup of coffee and say, oh, by the way, I wasn't doing anything. <laughs> Figured I called the help desk. No, they'll always call you when they're in a the crunch. They're trying to get something done. I can't so get to my email. Yeah. I know there's an important email waiting for me. So they, they've got that pressure on top of them. And then they're all frustrated because the machine's not working. And then they're talking to you. And so you have to cipher through all that other madness yeah. to get down to where the problem is. Wow, it almost seems like you need to be a kind of a psychiatrist, Gary, in order to be able to handle it. Oh, absolutely. And that's and that's it because they've tried and tried and tried. They're frustrated by this the time they call the help desk and it's very tough to be a somebody really good on the help desk on the service that we and we call them service desk service today desk because they provide service and they're it's more rich than the old-fashioned help desk. Uh but it, it really does take a little bit. You have to have either thick skin or be able to separate, like Cal said, that that the emotion away from what you're really trying to do. And you're trying to help them, right? And you're as, sincerely trying to help. As we were coming in, you were talking about some um, um, extra learning that you you were, a uh, seminar that you went to or that you were in. It was, um, it was an involved. e-learning course e-learning that's required. Course, yeah. And I'm like, what type of communication class should I take? And I took it on the help desk and it really broke down about uh, the help desk personnel as Cal was saying, how to uh, separate yourself from the emotion into what the actual problem is. And then sometimes as a help desk personnel, you have to, the, the people on the other line can be quite abusive. 
And so you have to yeah, actually hear that, give, hear that Tony. <laughs> you, you have to actually give them sometimes verbal warning. Like, I'm sorry, sir, but or madam, if you don't calm down at this point, I, I will have to sever this phone call. Yeah. You, the abusive language you're using is not appropriate. I'm here to help you. Yeah. And and, wow. and if they continue, sometimes you're like, this is your last warning. Have you ever had to do that? Uh, once. Once? How about you, Kel? Oh, I've had a couple of times. Matter of fact, I've had a time where. We had a caller that was somewhat abusive on a regular basis, oh. and I ended up making a site visit <laughs> to that person uh, out of state. And uh, it was uh, it was really quite fun because once I was there, the whole demeanor changed. I guess, I well, you know, when you're they have to look high. first of all, they have to look up to you. Oh my gosh! <laughs> right. if you guys there don't are know, a few people that are taller than you are. Well, so. I, I, I am going to say that the gentleman <laughs> that I did go to see was more of a Napoleonic stature. <laughs> Chip you, on the old shoulder type you know, of thing. But isn't that isn't that true? It's kind of like small. it's kind of like trolls on the internet that people feel with an in, you know that they're they're um they're um oh invisible, you know, that, that people don't see them. But it's it's so much the opposite because if you read some of the um service desk tickets and how it was resolved and what they say, and by the way, that stays with them. So the next time they call Every, whoever takes that call will find out they were abusive last time, uh-huh. that they were very... And so many times, you know, you'll see, um, you know, you'll see picnic, right? Picnic? Yeah, it's problem in in chair, not in computer, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, oh, that is the first time I've ever heard that. Game. Oh, really? I've seen it a lot. I've oh, seen picnic. picnic. Yeah, picnic. this is... I've seen, uh, I, uh, was it uh, ID.T? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. ID.T. And then, yeah. What's my, that? Uh, Idiot. Oh, I- <laughs> <laughs> it, my, ID10T fa- or something. My like favorite that? expression had always been the short begins between the cheer and the keyboard. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and but but you know when people are abusive to people that are trying to help, yeah, right? Yeah, they right. weren't there the whole time while they were getting frustrated, and that frustration sure. was frustration was building. But it stays on their record in the help desk. Wow. And if you're abusive, boy, everybody that is in that service desk will know that, and you'll get quite a reputation. Right. Wow. But the other thing is is that that information is there. So if you have had recurring problems, so, oh, sir, I see that you've you called last week on a very similar issue. Is this the same problem you're experiencing? Uh-huh. So there's a record of what's going on and, and which is good and are you going to abuse me like you did last week <laughs> well i wasn't talking about abusive customer <laughs> i'm just we, we don't always was... put nasty notes in there we put good, good information yeah, in yeah right the biggest part is that you just have to have really good people skills when you're working on a help desk and be able to work with people and That's understand right. and, exactly. and deal with them well we'll come back and continue this conversation on the help desk here on the internet advisor your favorite help desk Welcome back. It's the Internet Advisor, Foster Brown, Gary Baker, Edward L. Kel Carson in studio here, and a personal guest of mine here, my grandson, Tony Stack, is in studio here. And uh, we're talking uh, with these guys about help desks. And uh, as Gary mentioned before, kind of, I, I had not really thought of it, but our relationship began 18 years ago right? More with, than the that. Help, with, yeah. a, with the help desk call. Yep, that's right. And uh, when I was doing the weekend program here and had a problem with my internet connection, called up uh, BizServe. And uh, uh, well, online tech. Online BizServe, tech, pardon me. BizServe was a product, yep. And uh, Gary helped me out there. And since then, of course, we have uh, two of our favorite uh, techs here. Uh, and I really kind of think this is the unique thing that we have offered um, with our program 
uh, over the years was this connection to kind of a live help desk with people like Ed Rudell and mm-hmm. Cal Carson, Shane Hamlin, and some of the other people who are in here. And when you folks call in or send your email in, it's the unique experience of you're dealing with some people who are very high level um, help desk kind of people. Yeah, except for our listeners usually are much nicer. <laughs> that is true. I, just this week, you were talking about having answered some questions and getting back some results. You know, so few people times, are so thankful. So, so few times, I actually get a response back that says, "Oh, this actually solved the problem." Mm-hmm. Probably twenty five percent, twenty twenty five percent. I'll actually say that worked. Thank you so much. Like the last one was, you know, they they were experiencing a problem with wireless, and we went through several things. And then I mentioned to them, "Did you happen to you know purchase or, or do you have like baby monitors in your house?" cordless phones or this or that and she, and then I, and, and then I talked about drivers and she's like oh my goodness we just got a new baby monitor you really th-? and come to think of it and the way she wrote this was just excellent yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. come to think of it that's when our wireless started messing up oh, you really you think know? it could be the baby monitor <laughs> yeah. absolutely yep. and I and, see I see Anthony over there nodding his head and the, he knows yeah and the and the solution to that in many ways is are the new wireless monitor uh well, so get rid of the baby monitor no <laughs> <laughs> so the, the monitor out with the baby yes, no, yeah. no that's no. where i was going <laughs> the uh the new uh, the new wireless uh, uh routers now have two usually two kind of uh, bands the 2.5 gigahertz and the 5 gigahertz right i was gonna say rock and country yeah. but okay <laughs> <laughs> It's all an adventure getting in touch with this disc. Um, <laughs> that was Cal hitting the cymbals. We're in Mitch uh, Album's studio, so we have a drum set right Who knows us. what's going to happen here next? Uh, that is, who knows? But I, isn't it true that if you have those two bands, uh, yes. you can switch to the five gigahertz band? Is well, you have band? to have a, a, a device, a laptop device, megahertz, but that, that, that will support the, the five gigahertz or 5.4 gigahertz frequency range. What I was surprised to find is that my two year old Dell XPS does not support the 5.4 gigahertz. My son's four-year-old Sony Lenovo does. Mm. So, you know, you, you what you're paying for, you, when he bought a top-of-the-line laptop, he bought a top-of-the-line laptop. And and that's it. His, his wireless card supported both bands four years ago. Cal, what were some of the uh, the lessons that you learned as you were going through working on a help desk? We talked, we kind of kidded about some of them, but some of the... Uh some of your favorite stories, war stories as you've gone through. I, I don't even know if I could even tell any of them <laughs> exposing some poor guy. But uh, but you, actually, probably the majority of people are very nice and very thankful that you've solved their problem, The right? huge bulk yeah. of people yeah. are pleasurable to work with, yep. and uh, they are very uh, appreciative when you can resolve it, especially mm-hmm. if you can resolve it on first call. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I actually, I've had, I had a... a, a incident where I fixed a lady's computer and she was in another state and finished it and everything like that and she worked for a company that supplemented the, the company I was working for at the time and uh, three weeks later I get a box in the mail <laughs> and it has all the thing it had an assortment of things from that Cincinnati area. It was Cincinnati chili. Oh no! Uh, really? Oh, yeah. she looked you up, so she was had the ability to look you up and yeah. find yeah. out where you reside. And she was very, very appreciative of me yeah. helping her out because she was wonderful? in a in a tight spot, and it just showed up, you know. And I, I you know, I, I really can't take this. She goes, No, 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 you have to, you have to, you have to, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> so I got the proper clearance and everything like that. But it, you know, it's little things like that. I don't do help desk to get the perks. 
Yes, I do. But, uh, but I mean, Blame when, when anyway. those sort of things do happen, it, it's a great thing that happens. But like, like Gary said, the large majority of people are very nice to work with, very appreciative of what you do for them. And then you learn to exercise your people skills and your patience with the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me, one of the things, uh, what people call our show, it is a unique kind of uh, uh, trouble call because you have less time with them, really, than you probably have, um, you know, working a help desk where you could be on the line for what? What's an average call going to take you on the line? Well, it, that's kind of hard for me and Ed. Uh, it, yes, right, because, because you're at a different level. In the spot we're at, we have to do quick resolution for obvious reasons. And, and we're feet on the ground. But other help desks, you know, five minutes, you, they want you, you right. know, when you call, if you're entry-level help desk, they want you to gather all the information. You may not be able to resolve it, and then they dispatch it to an, to maybe another level. So, Tony, don't feel too bad if you can't solve it right away, but right. know what the next step is, right? Right. So he may be, he, when he joins up, he may not be the, he may start at the, at the dispatch area where right. he just gathers the information and then right. shuffles it to the other organization. Right. Right. And then he'll move on to be a specialist later on. It really depends. And, you know, you'll you'll get different metrics, right? So first-time resolution is one of the metrics. So they track that and they, they say, okay, first-time resolution is going up. That means mm-hmm. you solve them on the first time, but it you might take a little longer. So your total time on the phone, including wrap wrap up time, you know, writing the mm-hmm. final notes and going on to the next call, might be going um, up as well. And you want that to go down. So they're competing metrics, and and it's a kind of a trick to manage a. a so what's desk. what's the object then, uh, just of, of handling a call? What's the object of handling a help call? Well, Obviously, they help somebody. Yeah, okay. and if you can resolve it on the first time, you're gonna the customer satisfaction goes way up. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. You want to also, by the way, answer the phone, right? Average <laughs> speed to answer, right? And you can't be have a, a, a really quick average speed to answer if you're on the phone for a long time. So that is mm. diametrically opposed to first call resolution, right? So it's just kind of interesting, the dynamics, and, and sometimes you're drifting one way and sometimes you're drifting another. And, and that's why you get a lot of times... Um, you know, if they took more time, they might be able to look, you know, go through all of the different um, options. But a lot of times they just don't have the time to be able to do that because yeah. somebody else is waiting on hold. Yeah. And, and, and the unfortunate thing is that every help desk you call right now, the first three to five minutes is taken up with, I'm sorry, could you confirm your name? What's the serial number of your device? What's a callback number? Can you give me your name? You know, what's the uh, your username, mm-hmm. your email address in case we have to email you? And and they have to confirm your, if you're already into the system, into their database, mm-hmm. they have to they have to confirm a lot of information. And that takes time the first the first time that you, you time approach you, every that, time you call, you they have to confirm that information. They have to confirm that it's you, right? For, Unfortunately, um, that can become quite mo- monotonous. Is it for legal purposes too, Cal? As well uh, as uh, probably just, more warranty than anything else. Oh, I got you. You know, okay. or else they're, they're going to have to say, "Well, we'll have to transfer you to our other department." Well, they'll take your credit card number mm-hmm. and then assign you a ticket where you can actually spend the time with that uh, help desk representative because you're paying for the support. Yeah. Mm. Mm. That's a particular thing. And then the other thing that a lot of people have to remember, too, is because we live in a 24-hour world, uh, people expect help desk support 24 hours a day in some cases. Because of that, a lot of times help desks are on what they call follow the sun. So 
uh, for right now, the help desk is here in the United States because we're doing oh. normal business hours. It, you call three hours later, it might be, you know, in Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. You know, you call yeah. 18 hours later, it might be in, you know, I don't know, Malaysia. Or something well, like yeah, that. it could be Malaysia or South Africa. Africa, it could be in Ireland. Australia. Ireland is really Ireland, big. Yep. Oh, Ireland's big, huh? Yeah. Yes. yeah. So that's the reason why one day you may call up and some guy answer the phone and say, Howdy, y'all, how can I help you? And he's down <laughs> in Dallas. And then the next time you call, he says, hey, Very good to help you. And you know, now he's in Bangladesh. I, I don't know if it's pr- it could be a terrible really prejudice now. on my <laughs> it's a ter- terrible prejudice on my part, but um uh, I when I hear somebody speaking with an accent that says that they're a native-born English speaker, I feel much more comfortable that they're going to understand me. I don't know that that's necessarily the case. Well, that's, so, but I have that feeling. That's you know? half. The, that's half the um, half of the technique that you notice they use when you get a uh, help desk that is not of your native tongue. They'll say, hi, my name is Prakash, but you can call me Bob because they want you to feel comfortable <laughs> or sometimes talking they say, to Bob. Hello, yeah. my name is Fred. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. Stop that. <laughs> so, but you know what's interesting is, so there's an automatic, for a lot of people, there's an automatic, uh-oh, they're not going to understand me. And, yeah. and there's some validity to the fact that because they haven't grown up in our culture, they might not understand mm-hmm. our culture and some of the slang and some of that. However, in some of those areas, um, you have to be way more qualified ah, to be on the help desk than you would be here in the United States, where we're looking for people that are entry level. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people that um, that are on the help desk in other countries that have, you know, advanced degrees. Some of them. Yeah, right? I, guys, I'm going to flip this, the the equation around again for just a moment when we come back, and I want you to pursue this from. The caller's point of view. What are the most important things for the caller to get across to the help desk? We'll come back and talk about that as we uh, wrap things up in this hour. By the way, next hour, Rick Breuner will be here giving us his own personal exclusive report on CES. You know, we've been talking about uh, help desks and how that's a unique feature of the Internet Advisor has been for well, we're going on 20 years eventually here uh, in our 18th year right now with Gary Baker and myself and our tech experts, Ed Rudell and Cal Carson and Stu here. Um, 18 years ago, the Internet, the modems ran on a little treadle that you had to press <laughs> under the table. <laughs> that was about it at the time. But that's been kind of the secret sauce for us, that we've been um, available to answer questions. And right. when you when you listen in to the programs that are on, whether the blogs or other things, they're interviewing interesting people. Like, for instance, in our next hour, Rick Bright is coming in. We're going to be talking with him about his time at CES, the Consumer Electronics Society, um, the show, rather. And then um, we're also going to be talking with... Uh, uh, somebody from the Detroit Dealers Association about the North American International Auto Show with a really big shoe. Their uh, their mobile app. All right, their mobile app. So uh, normally our second hour is the one where we act as a help desk. And Ed and Cal and Gary and whoever else happens to be on our tech staff is here. You call in. We give you answers the best we can to the problems you're facing. And then during the week, people will uh, email us through our website. You go to internetadvisor.net and click on that contact button on the top, and you can send us an email with your questions, okay? Now, this week, because of the change in programming we have, in the second hour, Rick is going to be in, and we'll be uh, kind of plumbing what he's experienced at CES and about the North American International Auto Show. So we're not going to have a chance to do that this week live on WJR. So I thought what we talk about is about help desks in general. And guys, one of the things, you know, if you, if you could give a tip 
uh, Ed, to our listeners about something they could do to, to help them get the most out of a help desk call. What are some things you would, you would tell them to make sure you do this? Uh, let's see. Well, have, um, have all the information available when you go in there. So if you're dealing with uh, laptops and computers, have your serial numbers ready um, and, and write out what you want to accomplish on this call, ah, okay. you know, uh, beforehand, just so you make sure if you had any specific questions that you, you, you tackle them. Because sometimes when you call, they could say, oh, you know what? Could you, when you, especially when you call Dell, you could say, could you send me out a USB stick with Windows 7 pre-installed in it? Because I seem to have lost mine. And mm-hmm. a lot of times they'll just send it out for you, mm-hmm. you know, while you're on the help desk with them. Okay. So, so y- if you have any additional questions, write them out. Okay. So write out your question. Ken, what do you think? To help uh, the listener when they're calling a help desk. First of all, write down any and all errors you see on the screen. Oh, if there you creates uh-huh. those sort of things as, be- as best as you can. Um, just like Ed said, have all the information that you think they may need, serial numbers, receipts, purchase dates, all that craziness sitting right next to the phone. And the other thing is to stop, take a deep breath, and then call. And don't call when you're all wound up. If you're all wound up, it's not going to get anything done because you're going to have to cipher through all that yelling and stuff like that. And that's a few minutes of craziness that you could have spent getting the problem solved. Good point. So just kind of calm down, relax, and then make the call. And then do do it that way. That way you'll be more receptive and it'll be easier to, to get that information back and forth. I'd say make sure you listen. Because a lot of times what happens is uh-huh. they're trying to do something on their computer and they're not hearing what the, yes. the analyst, the help desk person is trying to tell them. And you have to repeat yourself a number of times sometimes. So, Oh, you know, and that's, and that's it. Because if, and, and if you don't understand what the help desk person is telling you, yeah, ask. Ask. <laughs> because yeah, a lot yeah. of times we'll use terminology. And uh, and the person on the, on the other, and we don't yeah. mean to because right. we say it every day to all of our colleagues. And when we talk to a, a, the uh, the end user, the person that's calling in for help, we'll use terminology and they'll just nod their head and say, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. And then they lost it. They, yeah, they, make they, sure you right. understand what that person is saying to you. And if you're not understanding, as they said, ask. You know, one thing that, I've, um, that I think also is if you tell the, the service desk analyst, You know, I'm a novice. I'm intermediate. I'm pretty advanced, and I've tried a lot of things. Here's Mm -hmm. what I've tried. Mm -hmm. Boom, 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 boom. So, okay, let's go to the fifth option, right? right? Because usually we start with the easiest. Check this, check that, check. Okay, they've already done that. So then now we're down down to, you know, tougher options to, mm-hmm. to sort through. So and, and Gary brings up a good point is 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 one of the first things you have to do when you're a help desk person, let the customer speak. Let them speak through the thing. That's right. That only not only allows them to get it out of their system if they're worked up, but they they are able to explain the entire problem, what steps they have taken. A lot of times us as help desk people, we can then quickly assess the technical ability of that person, plus also document ah. the problems that the person and what steps they've done so we don't have to rehash, you know, like, did you try turning it back off and on again? Well, they said that in the conversation. Don't mm. ignore when the, you, that's the worst thing that happens is like, when if me, and I've asked that person to turn it on and off and they said, weren't you listening? I told you, I, I we started off and on several times that doesn't seem to resolve the issue. Yeah, right. This so. way you can skip those steps like Gary said and go to step five. Mm. Um, one of the things uh, I think that you mentioned is very important, and I, I was on an Apple, um, matter of fact, apple.com 
uh, help uh, area with a problem that I have with my MacBook. And uh, one of the things that they give you as like tips for how to present your question is to tell the steps that you've taken. So yeah. people know that you've done this, 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 and this, and they don't waste the time while saying, well, why don't you do this? And you, that, that only frustrates you more because you've already done that kind of thing. Now, one other thing, and, and, and Gary and I were talking about this at the break, is if you're talking to a help desk that you know is a, re- a reputable help desk and they're doing work for you, you can always ask them if you feel uncomfortable with what they're talking about or what they want you to do, can they remotely connect to your machine? Mm. And then they can take control and do those things. You can watch them as they do it. And that way, uh, you know, if you're uncomfortable with, you know, doing this or doing that, they can do it for you. Yep. Now, if, if yeah. they call you, don't ever do that. But yes. if you're calling that, that's a, Apple, Excuse me, let's repeat that again, Gary, because yeah, it's well, very important. But Just because if they're calling you, you the, first of all, the help desk doesn't call you, right? right? So it's only a scammer that does that. And they or work. somebody sends you an email and offers to do that kind yeah, of thing. No, no, don't do that. Mm-mm. But if you're proactive and you're calling the, the service desk, um, if you're... You give permission, mm-hmm. and they'll they'll say this is how you can stop it. Mm-hmm. Um, almost all the service desks today, they'll say if you feel uncomfortable, this is the red X. Just click on that, and right. and we'll, it'll right. go away. Right now, so. now there, there is one time when they can call you, and you're okay with that uh, with them letting them do that, and that is if you initiated the call originally, and you know that the person's calling back oh, right. from the yep. help desk. Yeah. If you call Dell, for example, and they said, yes, we can help you, but we're busy right now, we'll give you a call back in a half mm-hmm. hour, mm-hmm. and they That's call different. back, and right. they identify themselves properly, and you know who they are, then you can proceed. Well, and, right and they give you, that's why they give you a reference number or, exactly. an, or an incident a ticket, ticket number, number mm-hmm. is, is so that you can confirm that this is the a continuation of the conversation mm-hmm. for support I had earlier. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then one thing, if you really want to stay on the good side of the service desk that you call, especially if you have to call more than once. Chocolates. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, when they'll say, I'm going to leave this Beer. ticket open, um, you know, if you have a problem, call back within you know, three days, and if you don't, if we don't hear you from you within three days, we're going to close the ticket. If you want to close it early, you can send it and um, close it early, send a message and close it early. But, you know, make sure that you do all the testing you want to do within those three days, because it's easier to deal with while the ticket's open rather than have to reopen the ticket. Explain a ticket, just to, because people may not be, what, what is a ticket? I, I, it's a document, speed? it's a document record that's keeping track of the interactions between you and that and that person dealing with the problem mm-hmm. that they're having. That way they can store that as a history for reverting back to to check on, to be able to track the, the progress, to be able to track the person's time on the help desk. Mm. There's a number of different things that's there for. Well, I hope that you folks out there have gained some insight into the help desks out there and, uh, and actually how we help you as well when you call into the Internet Advisor on the times that we have a live call in or when you uh, simply send us an email. And Anthony Stack, my grandson, I hope that uh, you get a chance to pursue this kind of a career sometime in your future. All right. Thank you. Coming up in this next hour, Mr. Rick Bright is going to begin with an exclusive report on his visit to CES, the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. And we'll also be talking with Mac Munce, Max Muncie from the Detroit Dealers Association about an application they have you can download to help you around the show. All that coming up in the second hour of the Internet Advisor. You're listening to a podcast of the Internet Advisor Show. To see the show notes for this program, visit our homepage, theinternetadvisor.net. You'll discover past podcasts, 
our free toolkit with software to clean up your computer and keep it running strong, and many other resources. You'll also find links to MITechnews.com, our co-sponsored weekly tech and entrepreneur newsletter, edited by Mike Brennan. If you have a question for our hosts, just click the contact button on the homepage and send us an email with the details. And don't forget to look for us on Facebook and Twitter and at Detroit's newest podcast network, podcastdetroit.com. Now let's get back to the second hour of the Internet Advisor. Welcome to the Internet Advisor. Hi, I'm Foster Brown, the co-host and producer of the program, and we got a great show lined up for you today. We're going to be visiting two big shows. One is called the Consumer Electronics Show, and we have Mr. Rick Broyden here, fresh back from Las Vegas, with all sorts of insights into the things that he's seen there. And then we're going to be talking with Max Muncie from the Detroit Dealers Association. He'll be talking about the big show coming up here, the North American International Auto Show. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Great Voice of the Great Lakes for our Internet Advisor, kind of a reduced version of it. We normally are a two-hour program. And by the way, if you'd like to enjoy the first part of that program, uh, we recorded this before we opened up the mics for this part. Uh, you can Sunday night go to internetadvisor.net and uh, you'll be able to hear both hours of the program on our podcast. Again, that'll be available as of uh, Sunday night. Right now, however, let me quickly introduce the folks who are here with me today in studio and normally part of the show. That's Mr. Gary Baker. Thank you. I'm looking forward to hearing what Rick has to say. Oh, yes. We're going to get the real scoop of what happened there. Ed Rudell is in studio. Good to have you here. Always great to be here, Foster. And Cal Carson, good to have you here. Oh, it's always great to pick Rick. (laughs) (laughs) And Mr. Rick Breida, fresh off the plane. I'm back from, uh, as my daughter at uh, NerdCon. (laughs) (laughs) That probably is a very good description of what's going on there. You've got lots to talk about there, and we are going to be getting to that a little later on. Uh, You were there how many days? Uh, Only two days, not nearly enough to cover everything. Yeah. How how many days do you think you'd need to really get a dig in? Uh, I could have easily done four. Uh, wow. And re- to really see everything I wanted to see, and by then I would have been done. <laughs> <laughs> you would have been numb as house. well. Yes. <laughs> so were ho- were hoverboards allowed so that people could zip around quickly? No, but I sort of feel like maybe by next year we'll might be seeing some of that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's one of the many things that we're going to be talking about, the hoverboards and other unique forms of transportation that we're showing off there. Right now, however, we want to get to our, our weekly conversation with Mr. Mike Brennan, who is the editor of MI Tech News. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Doing great, Foster. Well, your headlines this week were kind of a downer <laughs> in the sense that one of the first ones I saw there was that uh, a business that's been in the Grand Rapids area for a while is heading out of state and going south of the border. Well, at least the manufacturing part of it, the yeah. Dematics North American Division, the old Rapistan, that's been there since 1939, making 19, you know wow. uh, 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 products that automate the system, like uh, conveyor belts and things like that. And they've gotten into more advanced stuff since then. Mm-hmm. But uh, they were bought a number of years ago by Dematic, and they're global, and, and they can do things more cheaply in Mexico. And, mm. and uh I talked to a lot of people, and I don't think it's looking very good, because the only way they're going to let them off the hook is if these guys take a further wage cut. And I just don't to see that happening. Uh, as I say, not very good news, but it's part of the reality as well. We love to talk about how things are improving and growing in our fair state, but it's important to get the full picture of what's going on here as well. Uh, some other not-so-good news, as a matter of fact... Um, 
Rick uh, Steenen, Richard Steenen, who is our uh, our security expert here, uh, sent an email out shortly after the new year right. saying Foster nailed it. And it what it was because one of my predictions was that this year we're going to see somebody go after the uh, infrastructure, and uh, the Russians apparently did exactly that thing in the Ukraine. Yeah, right around Christmas time. Um, took about a little while to do the investigation. Several groups looked at it. Of course, the Ukrainians said all along it was the Russians. Right. The, the Russian Secret Service did it. The Russians have done this before. When they invaded Chechnya, they started with a cyber attack and brought all the communications down. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, all the all the smoking guns seem to be pointing towards Russia right now. And, what, you know, and this was just exactly what uh, General uh, Mike Hayden had told us when uh, we were talking about Stuxnet and everybody mm-hmm. accused uh, the U.S. of of planting that virus in the Iranian nuclear reactor. And he said, this is the first time that a virus actually did physical damage. And we were all waiting. He said that, you know, it's a new weapon we've unleashed on the world. It's going to be pointed at, at us at some point. Mike, so. what, what, what exactly happened in the Ukraine? Well, they, uh, they actually used some malware uh, that, they, uh, that they targeted the, the various power substations. Right. And, and the malware actually brought them down. Uh, I'm not sure if it was a variant of Stuxnet, because, you mm-hmm. know, they use the pro- programmable logic controllers and those things. Right. It's a little bit different, but it's the way the industry works, uh, you know, for water treatment and right. electricity and everything right. else. So, I mean, they, they, they identified the malware, and it had Russia's sig- fingerprints all over it. Mm. Mike, one of the last items we want to talk about, and folks, we're just touching on some of the some of the headlines that you can get every week at MI Tech News. It'll be delivered by email to you on Fridays, and you get all these and many, many other headlines that will deal with technology and entrepreneurship in the state of Michigan. Absolutely free. All you need to do is to go to mitechnews.com, sign up there, and it'll be delivered to you, or go to internetadvisor.net and then scroll down on our page, and you'll see Mike's smiling face, and you can... Subscribe there. But the last headline that I want to touch on here is kind of a good news one, I guess. It's that Michigan Tech has designed a rogue drone catcher. <laughs> yeah, it shoots a net, as it were, at the drone and captures it and reels it in. So, I love uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> we have a picture of it on the website. I had to look at it myself just to check it out. But I've actually seen that, not just Michigan Tech. I've, I've seen other places around the world that they're developing something similar. I think the Japanese have done something along this area. Drones are everywhere. Yeah. And I, I haven't got the final report on how many were sold at Christmas because they were estimated <laughs> oh, yes. maybe up to a million. But uh, there's a whole lot of novice drone pilots out there that don't know the rules and they're probably breaking them like crazy. Not to mention you got to register with the FAA, you know. Yeah, after so. a certain weight. Gary, you mentioned it before, I think. Isn't there a certain weight that you have to uh, register yeah, it's, beyond? It's over a half a pound you have yeah. to register. So not the really, really small ones. And then up to 55 pounds. After 55 pounds, you have to register it as an aircraft. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. But this is kind of interesting because you could have some, for instance, it could be wrecking havoc around an airport or someplace yeah. like that. So you need yeah. to really be able to proactively go after them. Mike, thank you so much for sharing these highlights with us. And don't forget that there's not only these resources, but there's also audio and video resources that are available to you on a bi-weekly basis with MI Tech News. Try it out for the new year, mitechnews.com. Go there, subscribe for nothing, and you get a whole lot of information. Mike, have a great week. Hey, have a great show. Thank you so much. Back in just a moment to talk with Mr. Rick Breuna about the Consumer Electronics Show. 
Well, it's kind of interesting that the lights may have gone out around your house and the neighborhood since the Christmas season is over. The Three Kings are now headed off to other places <laughs> or whatever happens to be the festival that you've been celebrating. And uh, the lights, however, are burning bright in Las Vegas and soon will be burning bright in our state of Michigan here in Detroit with the big auto show coming. But Mr. Rick Broida is in studio here to bring us uh, an exclusive report on your time at the Consumer Electronics Show. Still really big show, huh? Yes. Uh, back from the land of, of geek and money. It was uh, <laughs> it was a good show. There was a lot of cool stuff on display. All right. Now, as you went there, how do you map out an attack on <laughs> on something? That, well, how many acres is it that it's... Oh, it's 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 the size of a small town, really. It's yeah. uh, there's there. It's divided over uh, two locations. One is in the uh, the Venetian, and the other is in the actual convention center, the Las Vegas Convention Center. And so I basically split my time one day at one place and one day at the next, and really just scratched the surface. There was so much that I didn't see uh, that I had to read about later. Like, every, <laughs> like everybody it's like else. being let loose in the candy store, isn't it? Oh my gosh! Yes. Where, where where did you start? So it started at the at the Venetian, which is funny. Uh, the Venetian uh, slash Sands. We were joking about it, my buddy Dave and I. That this used to be the place where it was like the overflow. It was where all the kind of crummy stuff went to die. You know, nobody. You know, <laughs> it was just like, uh, okay, we'll spend a little while walking around the sands. And Another at all the iPhone junk. holder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All the all the cheap stuff. But you know, it's funny how it, it's almost changed a little bit now. The, all the hot stuff is in the Venetian, and so we saw a lot of cool gadgets there, a lot of smart home stuff. Um, wow. You know, just. There was lots of good stuff to see. I, I could have used another couple of days easily. Okay. So what did you first dive into? Let's say, let's pick some categories to take a look at. Uh, how about, uh, no big, I've heard of virtual reality is big. Yes. Uh, virtual reality is definitely ramping up. Uh, you've probably heard of Oculus, the Oculus Rift. Oculus Rift. Yes. Right. And, That's uh, 600 bucks though. They just announced the price on that. But this is, see, so wow. that is $600. And certainly there is going to be a higher end segment of virtual reality. But what we're also seeing is a lot of activity in smartphone-powered VR. And as we were just talking about a little earlier, um, you know, Google Cardboard uh, is yes. this product that came out a couple of years It's almost two years old now right. uh, that Google kind of unleashed on the world unsuspectingly. And it's just a cardboard viewer that you slide your phone into it and it has a couple of lenses. And when paired with the proper apps, it lo- creates a pretty convincing, effective virtual reality experience. Well, like the one that you brought in, you know, it's, yes. a, it's a cardboard box with the, the phone and the... Right, the, and, and you, you literally slip your, you slip your iPhone in or whatever phone you happen to have, I guess. Yeah, iPhone or Android, sure. Yeah, the two year, that box now has a two-year service agreement on it. <laughs> yeah. It's literally made of cardboard and it a couple of plastic yeah. lenses. And so, so and it's, it's really cheap. Very, yep. very cheap. So, um, But um, the Samsung Gear VR, for example, uh, is a new product that's out. That's a $99 headset. Only works with Samsung phones uh, for the moment, but um, it's it has some Oculus uh, underpinnings to it as well. And so for $99, you can buy a headset, as long as you have the compatible phone, that is also going to deliver a pretty amazing VR experience to you. Well, mm. we were just looking through what you brought, mm-hmm. and it was wonderful. Oh, yeah. Going up the roller coaster at Cedar Point. Yeah. And and coming down, and you really felt you were there. In fact, I now realize that I don't have to go to Cedar Point and ride <laughs> the right. roller coaster to get sick. I can <laughs> yeah. I can do that right in the privacy of well, my own Gary, home. You tease or about maybe bathroom. But. You tease about it, but I got a little queasy as I was. Uh, yeah, that, it, it's kind of a little sense of motion sickness. Go ahead. You, 
Well, if I can ask a question about the Consumer Electronics Show, please. Please, please. Yeah. I'm, a big, <laughs> I'm a big fan of the Nest products, and I have oh, guys yeah. who are, uh, are big fans of the Hue products as well mm-hmm. for lighting and stuff like that. What's going on in, in, in home automation? Yeah, there was a ton of smart home stuff uh, on display at the show. And, and as there has been every year for the last couple of years, it's really a, a growing category. Um, I didn't see a ton of it myself just because I was kind of looking for anything that would fly or, or work in 3D. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or that would hover, but um, there's there's a lot of movement happening there. I did go by iHome's uh, booth, and they're getting into a lot of... And so the smart home stuff is really what you're going to see a lot of is um, app-controlled switches, uh, mm. electrical outlets, light switches, uh, things that you can adapt to existing appliances. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. You probably heard about the Samsung refrigerator that has all manner of smart features oh, yeah. to it. Huge screen on it, too, doesn't a it? A big yeah. screen on it, and and some interesting stuff like on the inside, it, like it will literally take a, a photo of what's inside your fridge. So if you're at the store and you want to know, oh, do I have milk? Do I have this? Whatever. You can look at the inside of your refrigerator oh, and God. know what's in there. Oh, which, great. This you think be... about it, it's a smart idea. Really, unless you want everybody to see your molded cheese. Well, you don't share it. It's not a. It's not a social it's media for you. You can set up. You could, you could find out who's stealing what in the refrigerator. You that's can set right. at work. Oh, sneaking snacks yeah. in the middle of the night. Oh, oh my gosh! Yes. <laughs> no, that's a front-facing camera. This is only an inside-facing camera. <laughs> I recognize so, so, that hand. Some of the technology, you know, um, it's motion detected. So if somebody's in your home yep. and you're away, it'll pop up on your smartphone, and you can say, "Hey." And they turn toward the sound, <laughs> and you take their picture, right? It's automatic. Yeah, as long and as you they send go by that the refrigerator, the, yeah. You yeah, you send them. that off to the police department. It's, it's amazing what you can do today. Yeah, those things. And you can just say, we just took your picture. We send it to the police department. If you leave now, don't take anything. You know, Otherwise, they're going to be after you, and we have your picture. Right. By the I'll, way, we just took the outside camera just took a picture of your uh, your car and your license plate number, too. Mm. So. Oh, and you better call your doctor because you might want to get an x-ray for that. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I noticed you have a mole uh, yeah, yeah. on your neck. <laughs> uh, Rick, did you see anything in terms of uh, like uh, wearables? Um, were supposed to be big last year. They were to a certain extent. And I think as we look into this coming year, wearables again, uh, at least the development of them looks big. Were there things that, that caught your eye there? Certainly fitness bands were... Stop it, Cal. <laughs> Cal's looking at my wrist. <laughs> <He's> um, <laughs> the, the, the fitness band uh, segment is is continuing to expand uh, exponentially. Not a lot of smartwatches on display, really a lot of fitness oh. bands, uh, at least not at this show. And uh, Fitbit uh, announced uh, their new products, which I'm hoping oh. someone is going to rem- help me remember the name of. Oh, not uh, the Blaze. The Blaze? Blaze, thank Blaze. you. Yes, I uh, Yeah, the new Fitbit Blaze, which looks more like a smartwatch, actually, than it does a fitness Gorgeous. band. Uh, nice looking product. So, yeah, there's a lot of, lot of action there. Um, I bought my wife uh, a Fitbit Flex, the, ah, the, the, right. the little one, the bottom yeah, one. Right. That's all she wanted to do was something that counted her. This uh, surprises step. me because I continue to have less interest in the fitness aspects of wearables than I do the notification aspects. Mm-hmm. But the market is certainly pushing, obviously, in the other direction. Yeah. Now, I have a question. Now, so we went from wearing earbuds and stuff like that mm-hmm. and, and to headbands or earmuffs and stuff. And now we're on our wrist. What other body parts are we, gonna, <laughs> well, are we going to link with our phones? I'm just well, wondering. So what did you have in mind? <laughs> I'm just wondering. What did you see anything well, out there that this you is know, a family like, phone? This is family program. You know, well, you, you know, we have the straps for joggers, right. and and they have the they can put their iPhones on their on their arms. on their biceps right, right, and right. jog. Okay, yeah. so any any other unusual socks? So I, I well, <laughs> there is a sock out there. Oh, and you know, it's oh, called Owl, Owlet. Um, well, I know there's the one. Owlet, 
outlet is for a smart, babies. A smart sock? Yeah, smart sock. Well, for babies. And it's and a monitoring a, device. I know oh, there's oh. a jogger one you could put in your shoes. There's, there, well, actually, I saw a, a, or heard about at least uh, a set of, a pair of shoes that is designed, I think, for runners. And yep. when you think about it, um, it's laughable to say out loud, but a smart shoe makes sense because oh, that, yeah. if you wear something on your wrist and it's supposedly tracking your steps, it's going to do a mediocre job at best. Right, it's just right. because what if I gesture with my hand? Did I just did I just count a step? No. Yeah. Um, if you have sensors in your footwear that will very accurately count your steps. That's true. Now yeah. And your stride. Your stride. Plus which you can adjust the heat. So if you have cold feet, you can just tap your phone and crank <laughs> up the heat in your... And this is something I want, I have to tell you. I would love to have heated, smart phone-controlled shoes. This sounds <laughs> great. Or, or, or cool when you're or running. Or cool yeah. ones. Uh, I yes. can't wait to get out to the airport. You'd see people plugging their phones in the USB ports. They'll be plugging their shoes. That's yeah. <laughs> right. Just stand here, sir, and we will recharge We have to have an eye deodorizer or something like that. It goes with as well. Um, uh, Rick Breuder, by the way, is our guest here. He's our gadget guy and also the Chiefsgate, and we're talking today about his experience at CES, the Consumer Electronics Show. How about uh, drones? Anything in particular? Oh, my gosh. Drones everywhere. And I want to I want to circle back to VR before I forget oh, yes. about it, just be, for one other thing. But but drones were everywhere, and I was discussing with my buddy Dave um, how rapidly we have seen, f- you know, from drones existing to drones progressing in terms of design and features and capabilities in just a year or two. It has exploded, and I saw some really cool-looking drones, folding arms. I mean, just so cool. And Chinese passenger drone. Yes, that's that, that is the one. I asked him if he had yeah. you hadn't seen that, but it, apparently there's a single passenger drone that can actually go like about 60 miles an hour, and I did. It is want, the want, Jetsons. Want, want, want. Oh, it's the Jetsons car. It's, it's coming. there. <laughs> Back in just a second to talk about some of the silliest, some of the coolest things that our friend Rick Breda saw at CES. I guess we could call it an adult toy show. Uh, no, no, wait, 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 that's dangerous. Where no, do you no. put the hyphen? This is a toy show for adults. <laughs> you can't do that no. with the word Las Vegas. No, no, it's just no, no, right. Oh, no, it doesn't work. No. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Welcome back to the Internet Advisor. It gives me a whole new look oh, on Oh, that was a landmine I stepped on. Oh, my goodness. Rick Broyd is with us. He's our gadget guy, just back from the Consumer Electronics Show. I was just thinking of all the toys that are there, and for an adult, and it's NerdCon. That was another one of the things that you called it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you got to remember, Foster, those aren't toys, those are tools. You know, uh, the, yes. you do yes. know the difference between the two. <laughs> toys, you can't tax deduct. Ah, and you also can't talk your wife into letting you get them. <laughs> if it's something, it's a tool, you need this tool. <laughs> I'm right, looking, Shauna? <laughs> my wife's here. I'm looking to see if I have approval. Um, <laughs> no, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you have a kid at home, right? Two. Well, you, all you have to do is say, are you buying this now? They'll grow into it. <laughs> it's a learning thing. It will yeah. help them in school. Yes, yeah, an inspirational device. Rick, when you were there, uh, I understand the 3D printers were a pretty big thing there, that, this year. Lots and lots of 3D printers, uh, as there, as last time. Uh, yeah, right. it's, a, it's a segment that continues to grow. And so what we're seeing is there are more consumer-friendly models uh, that are mm. designed. I saw one in particular that is called the... Uh, M3D, micro 3D printer, and it looks kind of, it's all glossy and different colors and and just very compact, um, not much larger than like a toaster oven, and it starts at like 350, and Mm so um, really more of a consumer appliance, but very quiet and cranks out some very nice looking uh, prints, I guess if you want to call them that. 
Uh, so I'm excited because I really think we're overdue for, for 3D printers to become more of a household fixture. And, and this is another step I, in that I think direction. they're getting there. It's just taking taking time. We talked about virtual reality uh, a little bit beforehand, but you had a particularly cool thing that, that happened. Yeah, I did. So we talked about the kind of the low end of it a little bit yeah. with Google Cardboard right. and sort of the smartphone-powered VR. But I had the opportunity to see something that really, really blew my mind. Um, it was through 20th Century Fox, and it was a um, – you remember the movie The Martian? Yeah. So this was a VR experience where you actually got to sit in the cockpit of like the Mars rover that the that the character drove around and drive around on the surface of Mars. And what made this remarkable is that there were four components to it. I was sitting in a in a motion activated chair. So anytime I went the rover went over a bump, I felt it. Oh. Or I turned and the chair pivoted or moved as I as I was moving. Um, I had the the VR uh, glasses which were tethered to a PC. I had headphones over my ears. And I had two controllers that I was holding in my hands, like kind of free-floating, yeah, yeah. that when I looked down, I saw hands. So oh I could reach out and touch that. And it looked like I was my virtual hands were reaching out to flip oh a switch or control a, a virtual joystick. And the illusion was so complete and so all-encompassing, it... It really rocked my world. It oh, was wow. that good. Can you see this in movie theaters? And no, at theaters? home. I know. Home. You're, <laughs> you're right. Yeah. Why go out? Um, so if this is the future of VR, wow. and what was really amazing about it is that there was no lag. So you turned your head, and it was just there. No so lag. there was no... I get nauseated by, did, by yeah, yeah, some yeah. VR. This, I did not feel sick at all. Who did? Who produced this? Um, so this was a combination of different products. Um, this was not the Oculus uh, headset. It was something different. I think it was an HTC. Okay. And then the content was coming from Valve um, by way oh, of the Steam. Steam yeah, client, right, right Steam on the PC. So there was a bunch of different things at work here, and I don't know what this is going to cost. And, and No, but, but the but, combination of all of those to yeah. create this whole experience. Yeah, so you, it was a remarkable. great glimpse at what we're going to be looking at in a couple years down the road. It was remarkable. Hoverboards. Hoverboards. Yeah, favorite topic of mine right now because they were huge, uh, you know, leading up to Christmas. And, and of course, and you have one. notorious for catching fire. I do have one that as if it would stop raining or being 20 degrees, I would go ride it. Um, I did not see a ton of hoverboards on the show floor. I certainly saw some mm-hmm. in, in booths. I didn't see people zipping around on them as much as I thought I might. Uh-huh. Uh, they were probably not allowed. In um, booths? In booths. Oh, in booths. <laughs> Pardon me. <laughs> yeah. And um, so they, they definitely was a presence at the show, but I expected to see more of it and and did not and I don't know if that's because of all the issues right now with batteries catching fire. You know, and- is that I my understanding is that that was primarily in some of the knockoffs, some of the cheaper knockoffs, not in the better. Definitely, but but there's still issues to be worked out. Yep. Um, yep. So I love the products. I even heard there was a raid that took place. Yes, there at was. CES, one of the Chinese companies that right. had been building a blatant knockoff of an American brand, a one-wheel. That's exactly what it's called, the one-wheel. Yeah. Uh, and so this is more of a, uh, not the hoverboard that you've seen with the two mm-hmm. wheels and the little scooter mm-hmm. or whatever, uh, more of a skateboard with a big wheel in the center. Right. Uh, anyway, yeah, so this company had made a knockoff and literally had U.S. Marshals come in and seize it because it wasn't, you know, it was not authorized. I, I didn't see it, but I heard about it. <laughs> you know, they destroyed them, right? They destroyed all the I, I don't the know products. what the outcome that's was, what, but they had to stop exhibiting. Yeah. One of my favorite things to do right now is to watch YouTube and all the hoverboard fails and crashes. <laughs> oh, those are funny. Like yes. the ones that go in the backyard and it, and, the, and the board goes into the pool as they fall <laughs> backwards. Oh, hilarious. Oh, <laughs> 
It's like a new form it's of... like anything else. You must be careful and learn what you're doing before you hop on this thing yeah. or you will fall and hurt yourself. Now, uh, some of the other things I understand, there was a, a speaker that levitated? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, this is not new. I've seen a few products in the last few months with levitating speakers, but this particular one just caught my interest because it looks the base, which is also the subwoofer, is like this monolith. And then at the top is this floating disc that, if you remember Lost in Space, just looks just like the Jupiter 2. It looks like a flying saucer, complete with LED lights around the edge that's, that go around in a circle and it just rises up and floats there in midair and you can tap it and spin it and it just made all my geek bells go at once. It was so cool. I loved it. That did the sound come out of that part that was came floating? out of the comes out of the base and oh. comes out of the floating part too. So floating the floating part, part well. is actually a speaker. And uh, I, oh. if Shauna, Shauna will kill me if I bring another Bluetooth speaker into the house. But man, oh man, this thing is <laughs> she's not really cool. <laughs> now there's another thing that you 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 saw there is something called the Kronos, which I find, it sounded kind of a fascinating thing because it goes with existing watches. Yes, and this kind of speaks to. What what I was saying before about what I want from a smartwatch. If you have a watch that you already own and love, maybe it was you know something that was given to you, or you just don't want a smartwatch. Um, this is a way to retrofit any existing watch as a smartwatch. So the Chronos is a little about the size of a quarter, a little disc that sticks to the underside of your existing watch, oh. and it still pairs with your phone. But so now, when you get a, a text message or a phone call or any sort of a other event is triggered on your phone, the little disc will vibrate. Uh, so you can feel it on your wrist, oh, okay. or and it has LEDs that will light up in any given color to help you recognize what it is. Um, it can track your steps. Uh, has a couple other features as well. So it's a really neat wow. way to uh, have kind of the smartwatch experience without ditching your existing watch and without having to pay for right. And definitely of of a, a, a greater appeal to women because I think as a general rule, women don't like the look of and size of smartwatches. So this is a great way to be able to have kind of like a, a nice looking ladies watch that you can also have those smart features. Earrings, smart earrings. There, there we go. go. <laughs> I like the way it is always thinking about new things to smarten. How about to finish this thing up? The silliest thing you saw. Oh, at, uh... silliest, but also kind of favorite is was this thing called the Ripple Maker, and the Ripple Maker is a machine that you will start seeing in coffee shops. It can t- uh, produce like a, a layer of foam, like 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 you'd see on the top of a of a latte. And on top of that white layer of foam, any design you want. So typically a barista might make a heart or something, some sort of design. This thing prints onto a cup of coffee. (laughs) It could be a company logo. It could be a a message. It could be a picture. Just about anything. In the foam. Right in the foam. So you get your coffee and it has this little cool thing on it. And and how much do we need to tip them for that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you tip the machine. You just give it right to the machine. (laughs) Fascinating. How, and so does it fit over the cup? So it, it's actually about the size of a Keurig coffee maker. Yeah, yeah. And so, but it has a little control panel at the top, and you kind of, the barista taps in whatever the logo is going to be, and, and it just whoop, lands on your coffee. It's really cool. It's pointless. But it takes away all the art from the barista, yeah, it does. doesn't it? It does, but it also expands the capability. So just picture this in like a, um, for, true. you know, a company event or something like that, right, where right, you, everybody right. gets the company logo in their in their coffee. <laughs> Great, a really cool novelty. Oh, my so it does God. come in different flavors. Um, I, I, not different flavors, but different just shapes. different different designs, yeah, like any design you want. So yeah, but you, you could, could even... have chocolate and caramel. I mean, <laughs> wouldn't that be great? They, they already different... have that. Ed. Oh, oh, okay, okay, <laughs> you're right. I'm thinking nothing would be neater than have a skull and crossbones sitting on top of that coffee. That'd be great. So, so keep Rick... other people from drinking your coffee. Yeah, that's yeah. true. What do you have, Rick's coffee? Very quickly, what do you think the prognosis is for CES? Is it is it kind of has it run it? People are kind of no. saying it's run as not. No, as no, popular no. as ever, as crowded as ever. 
whatever is, wow. is um, I, I love the fact that um, we're actually seeing these product categories. For the last couple of years, the big complaint was, oh, I didn't see anything new. I didn't see anything cool. Now we've got VR. We've got 3D printers. We've got hoverboards. We've got drones. These are all new product categories, one and they're we, exciting. One thing we didn't talk about were laptops and yeah. tablets and computers. Oh, boring. Boring. That used to be what it was all about, <laughs> yeah, wasn't that's it? that's right. Wasn't it? Yeah. And then about phones, mm-hmm. and it's not about them anymore. No, now it's about all hardly. these other things. Wearable, are, are, smart are, home. Are TVs all played through, too? Uh, not a lot of action in TVs, except I did see some 4K TVs. I think we're inching towards 4K. Beautiful. They're beautiful. But do I need it? Does yeah. it is it going to make, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a show I'm watching right now. Is it going to make uh, Sesame uh, Street. Fargo look any better or more <laughs> enjoyable? No, it's yeah, Sesame Street. What about as far as size? Is it big, anything bigger than 90 inch now? Uh, I think there's. I think there was a 120 inch TV on display. There you go, Cal. That one. That's the one you want for your. <laughs> I'll need a bigger house for that. Yeah. <laughs> that's our it's gadget guy, Mr. Rick Broida, with his exclusive report on CES. Rick, thanks so much for being with Thank us. Thank you. Have a great week. Coming up in just a minute, we're going to talk about the really big show coming to Detroit with Max Muncie. That's the Detroit Auto Show, North American International Auto Show. Thank you for being with us here on the Internet Advisor. And I want to uh, remind you that uh, on Sunday night, you can go to internetadvisor.net. And there you will find both hours of our podcast. You say, both hours? There was only one hour on WJR. That's right. But we have a two-hour program, and we record that for our affiliates. And you can get all the goodness that's wrapped up in those two hours by going to our site on Sunday nights, internetadvisor.net, and downloading from there uh, the two hours. Or you can also subscribe through iTunes. Simply go look for Internet Advisor podcast feed. Now you have to add that in there. Then you'll get the whole shoot and match show notes and everything else. Uh, you can hear, listen again to the conversation we have with Rick Broida. I talked about this being kind of a double header show. We had the CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, but another really big show that's coming to Detroit is the North American International Auto Show. And somebody with a very special perspective on that is Mr. Max Muncie. He is a public relations manager for the North American International Auto Show. He works with the Detroit Auto Dealers Association. Max, thanks so much for stopping by. Hey, thanks for having me tonight, guys. Happy to be on. Thank you. This is a big week for the auto show uh, because it's press week, am I right? It is. Uh, Monday and Tuesday next week, the 11th and 12th, we kick off press days where we'll bring in just about 5,000 journalists uh, through the doors from 60 different countries. And that will be when, I love this term, knack toy will be decided, right? It will. NACTOY is uh, bright and early. Monday morning, they'll announce the uh, Car and Truck of the Year award. There you go. North American Car and Truck of the Year's NACTOY. That's why I'm teasing with that. And it's about the adult toy that uh, a lot of people will be looking forward to jumping into to drive off in. And that'll be reported on Sunday. But they'll also have lots of uh, big uh, announcements coming up this next week from the brands. And then when you go to the show, you'll be able to look for those particular things. Now, you've got a tool that you folks have developed to help people when they're going this year to get a handle on the enormous footage that's out there at the show. Yeah, it was great. This year we announced that uh, IBM, you know, obviously a world-renowned leader in innovation, became our technology partner to the show this year. Wow. So they're really on the back, and they're helping us bring a lot of technologies to the forefront to keep the North American International Auto Show as one of the top shows in the world. And what we're launching with them is a wayfinding app. So we've installed 30 beacons across the show floor, and when you load the app, the phone then will interact with the beacons, and it's kind of like a Pac-Man effect. So you'll look at the map on your phone, you'll see a bunch of circles, 
And then as you navigate around the floor into each individual automaker, the circle will then turn green, indicating that you've been there to really help you get around the whole show floor and make sure you're hitting wow. every exhibit. Well, and I, with beacons, uh, they can, uh, for instance, when they're in a store, and we had somebody with a carrot was the name of his application. It was like that. That when you got close to a certain store, it would then show you something about what was in the store. So will this show you what's like a highlight in the different areas you go to when you get close to them? So in future years, it definitely will. And I mean, we were really astounded when we were in the early meetings with IBM and they started talking about all of the functionality that these beacons allowed. But giving it year one, we really don't want to go too hard gotcha. with anything and have you know there be a failure. So this year, we're going to exclusively use it as a wayfinding app. Excellent. But then certainly in future years, we'll, we'll benchmark after this one. Really, we can start sending push notifications to individuals. Let's say you happen to you know hover around the four GT for a couple seconds. Mm-hmm. We can ping you, say, hey, would you like more information? Oh. Download some you know photos, video. Really, we were completely astounded with uh, how this technology could really take the show uh, 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 leaps and bounds above the uh, competition. Wow. I, you know, I'm thinking of some of the um, applications or uh, things that you can get. For instance, you go to the Detroit Institute of Arts, you can put on some of the headsets, and as you go buy certain paintings, it'll tell you all about them. You know, and the first thing I thought of is when I've gone to the auto show, I usually come out with a lot of uh, brochures. And th- this sounds like the perfect medium to to uh, provide an electronic brochures that you can just flip through instead of, you know, being straddled with all those, yeah. you know, uh, oh, bags. No, you're completely right about that. And I mean, I used to be one of the kids that would come to the show and you just fill bags and bags of yes. posters and brochures and yeah. then you get home and then pretty much they go underneath the bed after that. Uh, that's exactly- but now as we're all so connected with iPhones and iPads, it's a great way to get information right to people. Okay, now, uh, Max Muncy, by the way, is with us, and he's the uh, PR manager for the North American International Auto Show. Um, how can people uh, get hold of this? Is it available for iPhones? and? Uh, for... It is, uh, uh, iPhone and through the Google Play Store. Okay. Um, it, it, and it's labeled, if you just typed in N-A-I-A-S, ah. um, there, we have two separate apps. One is just a general show app. Um, that will give you everything from a social media aggregator to parking information mm. uh, to photos and social media. It's really like we've compacted our whole website into an app. But mm. to interact with the wayfinding, you'll see it says NAIAS map. And that's the oh. one that will push you right to the floor plan. And really why we did this, guys, is 70% of our floor plan is brand new this year. It's a completely revamped layout. We moved a lot of automakers around actually accounted for over $200 million of new exhibit builds this year. Wow. I'm sorry, did you say it was NAV as a navigation or MAP? MAP, M-A-P. M-A-P, thank you. Okay, so there are two separate apps that are out there, right? There are for the show. We do have two apps, and if you were at either Google Play or the iTunes Store, if you typed in N-A-I-A-S, both of them will appear. So you should know, folks, then, that there are two out there. One is a general one about the show, and it'd be kind of like going to the website to find out more information, as you said, about parking, etc. The other one, the map, actually, when you're on the floor of the auto show, that's when that one will kick in, and it will use the beam technology, which is kind of like, or beacon, rather. They're the little, um, well... beacons (laughs) that are set up yeah they're they're actually about as big about half of a tennis ball wow and then they're going to be at the individual sites so that when you get close to them then the app will light up and tell you more about or tell you where you're at and be a great way of telling you orienting where you are in the on the floor there as well 
Yeah, it's really great. Certainly with the revamp layout, we want to make sure everybody easy at access around the floor. And again, you guys, you know, hinted on where we can really take this platform moving forward. One thing we can do moving forward is actually track people on the show floor, not track for our own records, but to really see where the hot spots are on the floor, oh, yeah. really to help us know are the aisles the right size, have we, you know, jammed people up in certain areas, how's the flow. So really we want Boy, to make easy access around show floor because it is a large yeah. floor. Oh, Max, that would be brilliant because one of the things I know that it drives you nuts if you're working the, if you're at the auto show very often is you get caught in the traffic jams. <laughs> there are you certain... do. So we'll be able to, you know, see yeah. ease the flow. And then with the new layout, we tried to do a few things with the ways to accommodate that. So this will really move forward, allow us to do so many things. And again, can't thank IBM enough because with them at our table, we really can take the show to the next level. Oh, this this is brilliant. Max Muncy, again, uh, the PR uh, manager for the North American International Auto Show. Um, That's part of the uh, Detroit Auto Dealers Association's efforts that are going on there. Now, did I understand that there are, I see something about Twitter updates being available from the uh, exhibitioners there, the uh, exhibiting automakers. There are. There's so much to talk about this year. I mean, when people, we tell people what's going on, you would think this is like a five-year rollout for all the new stuff we're packing in this year. You are correct. We've partnered also with Twitter. We're going to have buzz boards all around the concourse and the show floor so you can see what's trending, what cars are being talked about. Almost like when you go to a Lions game, too, and you do the hashtag One Pride and you can get up on the big board. We'll be streaming photos and everything for people. We really want to make it an interactive experience. That's fascinating. So what is a buzz board, then? Explain that to me. I, I've never heard of that before. So and it's, it's, what it is is it's a big TV screen that we're going to have through uh-huh. Twitter. They have a partner called Weigh-In. It's like a social media aggregator. Yeah. So it will be culling data based on what's happening on Twitter, what people are talking about, and then we'll project up on the big screen You'll see what people are talking about, wow. you know, what cars are trending. Yeah, yeah. You know, kind of like if you logged onto Twitter, you'd see the trending sure, list. Sure, Now this will be about cars and everything. So Max, before you even hit the show floor, you'll know what's going on. It's astounding. This is, again, our big show, and it's going to be a wild one this year, folks. Don't forget to get those. are free. Get those apps, put them on your uh, iPhone or on your Android phone, and get ready to enjoy the show. Max Muncie, thanks again for being with us. Hey, can't thank you guys enough, and make sure to rest up. we got a busy press week ahead of us. <laughs> we do. Thanks so much, Max. It's a great show, the really big show here in Detroit. Guys, Gary, Ed, Cal, thank you so much for being here in studio. Folks, we're going to take a quick break, uh, and you've got more to listen to on The Great Voice of the Great Lakes. I want to thank Mike Stan and Rich Lasinski, who have been our engineers and helping us. The rest of you have a great week. You've been listening to The Internet Advisor Show. Detroit's longest-running, locally-produced computer show with Foster Brown, Gary Baker, and our team of experts. For more information about our weekly show, to ask a question of our experts, or find the show notes for this podcast, visit internetadvisor.net and look for us on Facebook and Twitter. Don't forget to check the other great podcasts available on this podcastdetroit.com network. Thank you for listening.